Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and we're here as usual at Roberta's Pizza, the home of Heritage. Um, we are not having this type of food today, but perhaps many of you at home have tasted it a bit or at least seen the presence of Ethiopian food in the U.S., it's becoming something of, or it has become something of a staple ethnic cuisine found in many restaurants. But I always wondered what exactly is Ethiopian food and what distinguishes the most authentic Ethiopian food as it's prepared in homes. So I'm pleased to welcome on air and discuss a family cookbook of traditional Ethiopian recipes passed down from mother to daughter. And I guess also anyone who's interested, since I'm holding this book in my hand. Um, but it really is a family Bible, and uh, I'm pleased to welcome Mizrak Mikonin. And um, you are speaking to us from San Francisco on the line. Are you there, Mizrak? Yes, I am. Hi. Hey, thanks so much for joining. Um, so Thank you're, you. Yeah, so your mother, Konjit Zuj. Zuga. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry if I mispronounced, but um, she wrote this wonderful cookbook, the, Ethiothi- ah, eh. the Ethiopian cookbook, Pinnacle of Traditional Cuisine um, at the Age of 89. Mm-hmm. Quite an accomplishment. And um, yeah. so, you know, what compelled her, you know, as a, I know that it sounds like she was perfecting these recipes over her lifetime, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, why do you think she decided to publish it now? She decided to publish it now because uh, she, you know, felt that the new generation was losing mm-hmm. the art of cooking Ethiopian food. Mm-hmm. Some of the cooking were lost, and others were just being not prepared the way she knows how it was prepared. So she wrote it for the sole purpose of passing the Ethiopian cuisine to the next generation. That's one reason. And another one is usually it's the amount of the ingredients is eyeballed. Okay. And yeah. so she decided, she said, you know, I have to correct that and put it in exact measurement. Mm-hmm. So that's what she worked on for years until she came up with the exact measurement that she thought would be perfect. Yeah, that's... It's interesting in so many ways because, you know, many cuisines around the world do not typically, you know, come with this, you know, written legacy of uh, writing down exact measurements. And, you know, it's more sort of like show and tell and oral, uh, you know, tradition. So it's interesting that your mother, first and foremost, wanted to, you know, perfect her formulas. It sounds like she was a bit of a perfectionist. Is that? Yes, that's correct. Absolutely (laughs) true. That's what she has been ever since she was a child. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that's what compelled her to do that. And so do you think this, since you're living in San Francisco, your mother's in Ethiopia still. Um, when you speak of like the, I guess, the younger generation, do you think that it's like folks who have moved out of Ethiopia specifically, you mean, that are losing this touch with their with their heritage in cooking? What? It's not only for uh, kids. 
certain amount of people who moved out, younger generation, even for uh, the generation that's in Ethiopia. Oh. Hmm. She, uh, you know, she wrote it in Amharic, one of our languages, so it's being sold a lot, and uh, a lot of uh, younger generation are using it right. back at home. Yeah. And I know that there's a rise in restaurants and, you know, other foods, you know, global food trends like uh, pasta I saw was something that you find a lot now in Ethiopian uh, restaurants that is in Ethiopia. So uh, do you think that younger folks are just not cooking or or eating as much traditional Ethiopian food? They do. They do. They do eat Ethiopian food. They do eat. Yes, you know. Presenting it in a traditional form that's lost mm-hmm. in the cooking, the art. Right. And it yeah. is an art. Um, you know, I'm yeah. looking through this wonderful book, and, uh, you know, I was just talking with some of the engineers, and we all are huge fans of Ethiopian food. We think it's delicious. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we have no. no clue how to do it. <laughs> so, this is great. Um, Okay, I mean, okay, so first and foremost, um, most Ethiopian cuisine is centered around injera. Let's tell me a little bit about why that is so important. Uh, uh, injera is the sourdough flatbread that you use to sort of sop up all the different dishes. Um, was this? Okay, it's because, yeah. you know, most of our food is in, uh, in stew form. Mm-hmm. So you need like a bread to dip it in. Yeah, and so that injera is the base for that. We also have Ethiopian bread, but uh, we don't eat the bread daily. Mm-hmm. It's an event thing. We usually have Ethiopian bread, you know, for a ceremony, some kind of ceremony. Oh, okay. But injera is everyday food, and it's made from a grain. Teff, right? No, not teff grain. Okay, got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I noticed you have a whole section on breads and different types of breads. But yeah, uh, yeah the one thing I love about injera, too, is that it's not heavy and it's not like too filling like most bread is. So you can eat plenty of it to, yeah. to exactly as like a vessel for yeah. all the other foods. Um, it's not really filling, yeah. Um, I love that you it's have... free of gluten, mm-hmm. you know. Well, it's true. Uh, it is it's free of gluten. gluten. It's loaded with uh, iron. So usually, uh, you know, pregnant women in Ethiopia do not need to take uh, extra iron pills because mm. the injera has enough of that. Wow. And it it's, has advantage. And what about the fermentation? Because it, the taste is very, wow. you know, sour. And um, do you get some, you know, I think that that's one of the most striking things about it to me. So Yeah. It's a, from the fermentation, yeah. Yeah. So your recipe has, like, you have to wait three days after mixing um, Ethiopian honey wine with water to kind of let it let it bubble a little bit. Yes. You keep it to three days. But what I would suggest is keep it in a cool place. Somehow in the United States it does not turn out to be the same if you keep it in a warm place. Mm-hmm. So keeping it in the fridge for three days. And uh, taking it out and ready to, you know, to prepare it would be the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you, you know, I can see all those bread and other fermentation geeks really enjoying this recipe. Cause, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Um, all right. So 
Let's also talk about um, some other classic. What do you think are the classic like flavors and ingredients you must have to to cook Ethiopian food, like a pantry staples? Um, okay, staples would be number one is the what we call the berberic the, the berber uh, spice, yeah. The chili, the pepper. Mm-hmm. It's a spicy, the, dry spice blend, right? It's made out from the serrano, and then you add a lot of uh, herbs into it, the crew, garlic, ginger, basil. It's prepared in a certain way. It's not mm-hmm. just the pepper itself. And then the, what we have, the shuro powder, is a mixture of jarabins, dried garlic, and that's also basic to all the food that we prepare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the taste, that would be that. Okay, so these are the typical, like, the spices that we want to yes. taste in, in our dishes. Yeah. That sounds pretty simple enough. That you would use to prepare the food. Mm-hmm. Except when you're frying, when you're frying the meat, you don't use, you know, the shuro or the barberry. But mm-hmm. other hot food and non-hot food would either use the shuro by itself or non-hot food. And barberry would use both. The shuro powder and the barberry powder. Mm-hmm. And most of the dishes are sort of long simmered, kind of like stews. So, so would you say that you need to kind of, you know, pace yourself if you're going to attempt to to make a feast at home? Start in the morning yeah. or like start the day before. You mean cooking it? Yeah. You can, yeah. You can prepare it a day before. I usually prepare it a day before yeah. and keep it in the fridge. Mm. And then just prepare. Yeah. So because it takes about, a, you know, cooking Ethiopian dish might take around 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. Just two. Yeah. Except a few, which you might finish in 15 minutes. But most of them would uh, require between 45 minutes and one hour in medium heat. Mm-hmm. I love that, like, you know, that concept of just, like, making a large batch and then just having it on hand so you can, you know, always add to it and have a nice little spread. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We could prepare what's called uh, the collet. You just prepare uh, the basic together without adding water. Mm-hmm. And then, as you need it, take it out from your fridge, add water, and uh, warm it up. Mm-hmm. I also love how how communal, you know, Ethiopian food is, how communal friendly, I should say. So these were meals that were made for family eating, like family style eating for for a group and, you know, something to make ahead and then just fill the table with all these different colorful dishes. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. We were saying that, you know, one of the most interesting things... Um, one of the most fun things about Ethiopian food, too, is that you eat with your hands. Um, yes. There's because the injera is the one, you know, your finger should not be, de- actually, your finger should not touch the, the food. Okay, yeah. So it, it's an art how to roll the injera. Mm. You know how to do it, it wouldn't touch you. So it's just like uh, picking it up with a fork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you know how to roll the injera, then you wouldn't really touch the sauce. And, and then it wouldn't be that messy. 
It's like a, the injera, you have to turn it into chopsticks sort of in your hand to kind of like get that perfect yeah. scoop or something. Yeah, just you have to use kind of four fingers mm-hmm. to roll it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just love how kind of cozy it suddenly seems when everybody's all just kind yeah. of... Yeah. Always, yeah, and one of the thing is we eat from the same plate. Mm-hmm. It's intimate. And, uh, yeah, it's intimate if you want to eat <laughs> by yourself. They might say, hey, are you mad at somebody? How do you want to eat by yourself? <laughs> you should share from the same plate. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's the, that's the authentic, you know, way to do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, what would you think, Mizrat, if somebody were to eat, you know, these foods with a fork or a spoon, would that be just, like, totally blasphemous, in your opinion? <laughs> it can be done. You know, I can tell you how uh, you can do it with a fork and knife. Mm-hmm. Spread, spread danger on your plate. Mm-hmm. And with your fork and knife, roll it like a burrito. Okay. After you put okay. the sauce. And then just use your fork. You can pick it up by cutting and pick it up, picking it up. That sounds like a good, like, like yeah, like to go uh-huh. way to get. Yeah, yeah. It's an easy way to eat it. All right, so we can invent with this cuisine. We don't have to be completely no. authentic. <laughs> no, totally, no, you can't. No, no, you don't have to. You can, you know, adjust it to your taste, amount of ingredients, whatever you want to. You can adjust it to your taste. It's versatile. The, the other thing is that, you know, you were saying, like, gluten-free, you know, these, um, uh, the injera has so many unique uh, benefits, but um, a lot of the foods are extremely colorful and healthy and use all these um, different legumes and grains and um, these things that we should actually be eating a lot more of. So a lot of garbanzo beans, there's, um, you know, yeah. chick. Uh, a split pea or or chickpea dish, and um, you know, I guess similar to uh, we we all think of like Indian food as like having a, uh-huh. a strong foundation. Would you say it's a little bit similar in in a strong foundation in these delicious uh, very, vegetarian? Yeah, very similar. The mm-hmm. vegetarian dishes are very similar to the Indian, but you know, even though the you might the vegetarian have those uh, grains, the shuro powder has all the grains in it. Okay. So huh. every time you eat Ethiopian food, you will get those grains. Huh. So it's all built in there. Um, yeah, it's all built in there. All right. Well, we're going to talk about a lot more like of these tantalizing, tantalizing recipes that your mother has compiled, um, but after a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is Lucky Dog by Odetta Hartman. You're listening to Eat Your Words. We'll be right back. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. 
Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. All right. We're back chatting on uh, Eat Your Words about Ethiopian food. Um, talking with Ms. Rack McConan, the daughter of the author of the Ethiopian cookbook, Pinnacle of Traditional Cuisine. Ms. Rack, you still there? Yes, I am. Awesome. So before we get into some of your favorite dishes or your mom's favorite dishes, um, a little like, you know, background on why, why they seem to be so few. You think that with the popularity of Ethiopian restaurants and so forth, there'd be more um, interest in Ethiopian cookbooks, but I couldn't find hardly, you know, I just found like a very small amount when I just did a search um, um, in the way of traditional Ethiopian cookbooks. Do you know why that is? Uh, you know what? It's echoing in. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to hear you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just wondering. Really echoing. Yeah. Um, do you know, you know, why there seems to be a lack of discussion or cookbooks um, about Ethiopian cuisine? <laughs> well, I really don't know it's because yeah. it's a, you know we're newcomers to the United States. It's in the last uh, probably 30 years that a lot of people have come in. Mm -hmm. So people have not started writing it. You know, it's in the last 15 years that we even see restaurants being opened in various places. Mm -hmm. So writing the book has not been started yet. Mm -hmm. But there are a few books, you know. I know at least about three or four that yeah. have already been written, yeah. Well, I applaud your, you know, your mom for sharing her her recipes because, you know, as we we tend to see a lot of, you know, celebrity cookbooks out there and it's always refreshing to see what, you know, folks are cooking at home, you know, with, yeah. with their families. So and also, I, I notice also that um, Marcus Samuelson, the chef uh, who's born in born in Ethiopia, but raised in Sweden, um, has been peppering some of his recipes with some Ethiopian flair. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe that's a little bit of uh, the beginning of more of a dialogue on, on this exactly. cuisine. Um, it could be the one, yeah. What do you think are, like, the biggest hits, like the most, um, I don't know, the most home you know, mm -hmm. the vegetarian, uh, The vegetarian dishes. Or yeah, any... Really good hit. I have about two or three people who own restaurants. Mm -hmm. And it seems the vegetarian food is very popular. Yeah. Well, yeah. you also have a great meat and seafood section in the book. Um, I love that there's a tripe dish, too, which I didn't know was something that um, is eaten in Ethiopia. You're, you're kind of laughing. Is that is that a hard sell, you think? Or? <laughs> I don't know. But for people from uh, Latin America or Europe, it's not. Mm -hmm. Because they do, have, they do have dishes with tripe. Yeah. For the United States, it would be, yeah. I think it's. When I thought, mm -hmm. yeah. I think I to my daughter, she, you know, she, she just doesn't like that. <laughs> Your but, you mom, know, okay. I know a lot of people are scared away by that, but I'm yeah. so glad that your mom included yeah. that because that broadens our knowledge of maybe some of the more traditional ones that haven't, um, yeah. you know, been as readily embraced. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. And um, some of these, I know that you translated this um, this cookbook from, what was the language? Amharic. Amharic, yes. Um, 
Yeah. So I love that, um, you know, you have the transliterations of a lot of these traditional dishes like Dorawat with Tej. Um, but some dishes, they don't seem to have, you know, an established name that we would recognize in the States. So, for instance, the Furs Asawat, um, you translate as spicy fish dish, which is yeah. looks... I love how simple that is because that looks like exactly what I would want to make. It sounds... Uh-huh. delicious and mm. and really with just as you mentioned like the berber spice blend you really don't need yeah. hardly anything in this besides fish shallots um mm-hmm. some garlic and ginger um you know it sounds pretty delicious and simple so. yeah and you know we have the the garlic and ginger in every dish it's included in every dish and that's also very good for mm-hmm. the health Right. So one ingredient I was really stumped by, uh, it's the false banana plant. <laughs> oh, the false, yes. But I see that's a very popular throughout Ethiopian cuisine. So can you tell me what is a false banana? It's a false banana. Well, you know, the banana tree. Okay. You know mm-hmm. what it looks like. It's not really banana. It doesn't do bananas. But the leaves are similar to the banana tree. Mm-hmm. So what we use is the roots oh. of the tree. Wow. Yeah, that's the root is dug and it's scraped and uh, fermented for so many days. Wow. And then it's turned into powder. It's a long process. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, you know, good for, good for people who have diabetic or diabetic. Okay. So in, certain, in that region of Ethiopia, where people use uh, this food in their daily, uh, use it daily, mm-hmm. they, very few people have a diabetic. Okay, got it. So yeah, huh. and another one you might be interested is interesting is the ganfo. Ganfo, okay. Yeah, ganfo is just made from teff and barley. Those are the two great uh, powders used. Okay, barley. And it's usually served when a lady gives birth. Mm. During, throughout her pregnancy, you know, there's a backache mm-hmm. from carrying the baby. And this is served after 40 days, so it could help her. You know? oh, that's great. You know, I love yeah. reading um, because there's so many cultures that have recipes just for women who recently gave birth and i think it's uh-huh. that would actually be a fun cookbook to compile too but anyway um yeah <laughs> uh-huh. so so getting back to the false banana that's um what does it taste like though this powder after the you know the root has been crushed and fermented and all that stuff what is does it taste like a banana no no absolutely not okay. it, it doesn't taste like it's just the name <laughs> it's just the name. Just it's not at all. I don't know. I <laughs> it has its own taste. I don't know how to explain it. It has its own. T- it's not spicy. Mm-hmm. It's very close to. It's just bland. <laughs> you put you know salt into it, mm-hmm. so that sort of the taste. Okay. But yeah. So it's for savory foods then, not. It's, I don't know. I can't do grits. Probably close to grits. Oh, grits. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. All right. 
So don't don't go substituting this stuff for in your banana sundae or whatever. Right, next, sorry. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, how about how about desserts? Is that traditional to? Because I don't see any desserts actually. Is that not a thing in yeah. Ethiopian? It's not. A we thing. are no the only. Traditional sweet thing I know is honey. Oh, hmm. People, you know, touch is made out of honey. I am. Pure honey. That's a good dessert to yeah. me. And I noticed that the, the traditional, the, the wine that's used in some of these recipes, it's a honey wine. So it's sort of Yeah, like it's honey. a honey wine. That's the edges is basically made from honey. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, that's the only really traditionally, that's the sweet thing that we use, except fruit, like orange, banana. You know, those are sweet things. You mean real bananas? The <laughs> dessert is only honey. Some people, people like to eat honey. So, dessert, rarely. They don't do that every day. Mm-hmm. But sweet things, we don't have dessert, per se. Yeah, that works for me, okay. And, and certainly the little bit of... That honey wine or, or mead, is that sometimes taken as an after-dinner drink or digestive? Or or how would you drink the wine? They, no, it's just drink wine mm-hmm. as a regular drink, as wine. Okay. You know, you have your wine with uh, your lunch or dinner. Ah, gotcha. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, so... I'm fascinated by these dishes. What do you think I should try first? If I'm a total beginner, totally new at this, and um, okay. what's the best? Easy? Easy yeah. cooking? Yeah. You. Uh, I would like to say the vegetarian dishes, any of the vegetarian dishes are easy to cook, uh, to prepare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm looking at the Talk spicy that, red lentils yeah. one, the lot. The lentils, exactly. Mm-hmm. And actually, the safflower is very easy. Safflower? Safflower. Yeah, I dish. see that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It might be an acquired taste, but it's easy to prepare. Huh. And the one I like the most is uh, the garbanzo dish. Yes, that looks good. That you can, especially as a snack on the bread, you can use it as bread spread. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's uh, really tasty. I like that. Hmm. And I love the use of garbanzo bean flour, too, in um, some of the yeah. some of the dishes. Yeah. Sure, the chai is also on page 41. That's very easy to prepare. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would start with the veg- uh, vegetable dishes, the mild vegetable dishes. That it's could so be funny. The- it looks so... And, you know, none of them are really hard to cook. Yeah. They are not. It's just uh, take your time, work in a well-ventilated area, <laughs> and you just, well, you know, work with it. Work with it. So, well, I'm going to work with it. With it. Um, yeah. I'm so happy that we, yes, we have access to to understanding these foods and, and how simple they are. Um, whereas it was once, you know, somewhat uh, mysterious or, or maybe sort of guesstimated, not exact. This is um this is really a wonderful project on your mom's behalf, so we gotta yeah. thank her. Our credit's due. Yeah. Definitely I thank her a lot. Yeah. 
Well, um, that's about all the time we have for today. Um, but thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Rack, and um, for sharing this this story, really, of your mom's cooking. It's um, it's beautiful and inspiring. So, so I'll be definitely sharing this with folks. So thank you again. Okay. Thank you for letting me share mm-hmm. with you and the rest of the people who might be interested in trying it, and I encourage them to try it. It will be fun. We will. Thank you so much. All, All right. right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll Thanks. see you next week on Eat Your Words. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. I like the way you do. On heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.